I, uh, if you want to go with me, it's First Corinthians 8. We were there. You guys know if you're visiting with us, you don't know, but for those that, that, are, that normally come, you know we're working our way through the book of First Corinthians. We made it to chapter 8. We started the week before the new year. So we're almost eight months in. We've made it through almost eight chapters. Um, that's not bad. Uh, that's not bad. Uh, I think Scotty had told me one time he was listening to uh, MacArthur go through the book of, what was it, Claudia? Luke? Matthew, how, how, how long did it take him? 11 years. 11 years of the book of Matthew. So I'm doing good. <laughs> I can't do anything for 11 years. I got nuts. First uh, Corinthians chapter 8. We preached it last week. This will be the second part of that, but you'll catch up quickly. Um, from where we were last week. We talked about liberty and limits, right? So we know as Christians, thank you, brother. We know as Christians we have a liberty, but we also know that that liberty has limits. And really what we're discussing is the gray areas, right? What happens in those gray areas of Christianity where you can't find that exact verse, that exact scripture that answers the question that you have um, and so some of those gray areas, and we talked about five questions last week, um, five questions that we thought would help, and I'll repeat those to you, and then I'm going to add one, one more question by the end of the sermon today for a total of six. But the first five was this, what does the Bible really say about it? And if you remember, I talked to you about sometimes we just think the Bible doesn't have an answer, but it's because we haven't studied it out. Sometimes the Bible does have an answer. It may not be specific, right? But often enough, if you read and study about a topic, you'll get an understanding that will guide you into the will of God. So that's the first question we've got to ask ourselves when we approach one of these gray areas where we say, I mean, we're talking about things like, I mean, you could, you could list them out, right? There's just a ton of these gray areas where people kind of debate back and forth about it a little bit, but the Scripture isn't perfectly clear, you, again, you can't go to that chapter and verse and say, right here it says, you know, thou shalt not play, you know, baseball on Tuesdays, right? You can't do that, right? And so some people, Christians, wonder, well, how much time should we use when we talk about sports? Should we go out and eat on Sundays after church or should we not? Should we, you know, should I get a tattoo? Shouldn't I get a tattoo? What What's right? What's wrong? These are things that we're talking about. These these supposed gray areas where people struggle to come up with the right decision. So the first thing we look at is what does the Bible say? The second question is, is it good or bad for me spiritually? Right? Will it, will it, sometimes that, that simple question is the easiest one to ask and it's really just that question of, will this make me closer to God or will this move me farther away from God? How will this impact me spiritually? The third question was, and I thought I always think this is a powerful question to ask, is what would this do to my testimony? As Christians, he liked that one. As Christians, we can know, right, beyond the, the shadow of a doubt, that somebody's watching us. If you profess to be a Christian, there's somebody that's watching your life, right? And, and so those that testimony is an important thing. And I always put that in the context of my children. Right, my boys. So I think if I do this, say this, watch this, 
act like this and my boys see that, do I want to see them repeat that one day? Right? Do I want to see them doing those same things? And listen, I have failed many times at that. Um, I've done things that I wish I could undo or, or maybe just lost myself for a moment and, and, and got out of sorts and wish I could take that time back. But I do try hard to be an example to them. And not only to them, but to everybody I'm around. And I think we all should. Try to be the example of who we want other people to be. We need to hold ourselves to the standards that we want for our children. That we want for our neighbors. That we want for other people, our friends. We need to be able to say as Christians, follow me as I follow Christ. The fourth question is, is, it's kind of a hard one sometimes, but is, will it bring God glory or which decision will bring God more glory? Right? So it's a great question to ask because if you don't know, your main purpose as a born-again believer is to bring God glory. This is what you were created for, is to glorify God. So we should always ask, which decision that I make most glorifies God? And the fifth one I gave you, and we'll kind of be focusing in on this one a little bit today, and it kind of leads over to some other things. But, but the fifth one is, will it offend, will it hurt, will it cause another believer around me to stumble or sin? If this would cause someone to go in the wrong direction to sin or to be tempted to sin, is this something that would violate someone else's conscience that's around me? And these are the questions we need to ask ourselves to kind of help make the best decision possible when we face these gray areas. But let's build off those things because I want us to get a better understanding and then we're going to wrap up chapter 8 in Corinthians and we'll move on to chapter 9 the next time. Here's the first thing that I want you to know this morning. Paul recognizes and we need to recognize that there are those who have strong faith and those who have weak faith. Right? There's a recognition to be had there. Now, now let me say this this morning. Both of those people have what's important. Faith. Amen. Some are strong, some are weak, but both are faith. That means both are Christian. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. Amen. So they both have faith, but it's easy to recognize that some people are going to have stronger faith than other people at different times. Amen? Amen. Paul touches on this in chapter 8, verse 9. He says, But beware lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. So Paul says there may be this situation where we have liberty. Now I want to be clear about liberty. Right? I really want you to hear this part of the message because I don't want you to use these sermons or these verses later to justify any type of ungodly behavior or action in your life. So really hear me. This is important. Christians do not and never will have liberty to sin. We do not have liberty to sin. Never, ever, ever. When the Scriptures are clear, when things are black and white, and most things are, it's never okay for a Christian or a believer to sin. As believers, 
we are to strive for obedience to the Scriptures. And if you seriously believe, if there's any part of you that, that really thinks that you're so spiritual or that you're so mature that you can commit sin and it would be okay, you've missed the mark by a mile. No matter how mature we are, no matter how long we've been a Christian, no matter how much faith we think that we have or say that we have, no matter how spiritual we think ourselves to be, no believer has liberty to disobey God's Word. Amen. God's Word is the authority in the life of a believer. So if you're looking for a way to sin, you're not mature, you're carnal. But we do have to recognize, right? We have to recognize that there's some areas where somebody might say, this isn't right or this is sinful. Or I don't believe a Christian should do this thing or that thing. But the reality is the Scripture doesn't say that. Amen? Amen? Those things happen. This is all important when we talk about liberty because sometimes people take liberty as a license to sin. We don't have that liberty. We, are, we understand, we know that through salvation we've been set free from sin, not set free to sin. Right? We also recognize and understand that there are some things that some people have deemed sinful that God has not deemed sinful. Those things exist. Kind of the areas we're looking at here. So Paul puts believers in two categories. Those who are weak in faith and those who are strong in faith. And this is most powerfully brought out in Romans 14. So I want you to turn there. We're going to spend the rest of our time preaching on 1 Corinthians 8 from Romans 14. Because the two chapters line up so beautifully. In Romans chapter 14, that's where I want you to be looking there. And listen, as you're turning there, this is I want you to kind of give you some backdrop here. This is a really important and powerful chapter. Especially for the church. Because the core of what Paul is really addressing here, it's the same core that he's addressing in 1 Corinthians 8. Right? Which is, which is really this. How a church, a local body of believers like us, not the universal church, a local church, like us, how we can love one another even though we don't see everything the same way all the time. Amen. Right? Amen. How we can work our way through that. that. Listen, you understand that our calling as believers in the church is that if we want to please God and we want to show the world that we're His disciples, they'll know that if we love one another. Amen. Right? Amen. And so, how do we remain unified? How do we remain loving in, in, in how we address other believers and react with other believers when we're all so different? Now to me, this is real and practical and helpful. Because if you're in a church for any length of time, you're going to find out that the people in the pew in front of you and behind you don't agree with everything you think. Amen? Amen? Nobody knows that better than the pastor. 
Because I get to get up and say all the things I think, and everybody gets to tell me what they think about what I think. Right? So, so we don't always operate on the same opinions about things. No matter what those things might be. There may be people sitting in this church or your church or wherever that is that 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 really they don't have the same convictions about non-essential things that you do. Or that your convictions, they don't share those things. And this is a real issue for churches, especially for growing churches. Because a lot of young believers come in and and, and sometimes a lot of believers from other places come into a church and they all bring in their own thoughts and opinions that they've been taught over the years and, and, and it can make it complicated. So let's look at it together and see what we should do. Romans chapter 14, verse 1. Receive the one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. Now let's pause there. Let me read that to you in the ESV because I like the way it phrases it better. It means the same. As for the one who's weak in faith, welcome him in, but not so that you can quarrel over your opinions. <laughs> Paul gets right to the point. He addresses the strong in faith and he says you should receive the one that's weaker in faith and welcome him and don't start quarreling with him over every little thing. Right? Now listen, goodness, if people would heed this, a great amount of church problems could be solved. Right? Listen, not just church problems, family problems, relationship problems, all these things, this, this would help. Listen, little problems, maybe I should maybe say it this way. Little opinions can create big problems. Sometimes we can create a lot of friction and do a lot of damage in our churches when we try to convince everyone to agree with us about our opinion. That's just why when you get in the pulpit, you shouldn't be speaking your opinion. You should be speaking Scripture. We don't preach opinions. I don't preach things that I don't know. If I can't prove it in the Scripture and I don't have a clear understanding of it, I don't get up here in front of you and pretend like I do. And give you an opinion. I'll go back and study it until I get a good opinion on it. Until I get a clear understanding from the Scripture. And then I'll preach the Scripture. And if I don't understand, I'll read the Scripture and say, we'll all figure this out together. But I won't give you my opinion. There is a general rule that all believers would do well to follow all the time in every circumstance. It's found in James chapter 1, verse 19, when he said, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear or to listen, but be slow to speak and, and slow to get angry. Right? If we could... Listen, that's a recipe for a peaceful Christian life. If you really want to look at it from that perspective, if you'll take time to listen to other people and not run your mouth, and I'm talking to me too, amen? And listen, 
and be slow to respond, slow to tell your opinion, but quick to listen to others. And then be slow to get angry when those two things, when yours and theirs don't line up, your relationships will be a lot better. And I'm not preaching that to be mean, I'm preaching it to be helpful. Sometimes the best thing you can do is listen, not speak, and not let yourself get angry. By the way, oftentimes anger is a choice. All you have to do sometimes is take a deep breath and think about it for a minute and you don't have to be angry. It's when we let our tempers get the best of us that we get in trouble. Amen? I wonder if that's how we would describe ourselves. Listening. Slow to speak. Slow to anger. So Paul points out that there may be someone in the church who has a weaker faith, but what the strong in faith should do is welcome them in and not start arguing right away. Now let's keep going. Romans chapter 14 verses 2 through 7. Paul gives us an example of what this looks like. He said one comes into the church, he believes that he can eat all things. But he that's weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who does eat. For God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant to his own master he stands or falls? Indeed, he will be made to stand for God is able to make him stand. Can I just tell you that it all goes back to that? Your pastor can't make you stand. Your favorite preacher can't make you stand. The church can't make you stand or fall. God. It's God. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, and for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat, does it to the Lord. He does not eat to the Lord and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. So what Paul gives us is this example and he says one person comes in the church and they say I eat meat and anything else you'll put in front of me. Another person who's weaker in the faith comes in and says I think believers should only eat vegetables. Now Paul makes it clear which one's weak in the faith. They're probably also weak in body. It's the one that only eats vegetables. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I said I wasn't going to get my opinion. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, the more mature Christian here is the one who understands that they can eat meat. And the weaker one is the one who has not yet come to that understanding. 
Now, now let me explain that to you just for a second. Just, just kind of drill in on this. What makes a person strong or weak in faith is how much knowledge they have about what God thinks about them. One doesn't yet understand that what God has cleansed is clean. Right? What God says is clean is clean. One hasn't come to that understanding yet. But they only eat vegetables because they believe that's what God wants them to do. Therefore, God is glorified in that. Even though their faith is weaker, they glorify God. The other understands and knows the truth and he knows that he can eat meat. And so he, he does eat meat and gives God thanks that he can eat the meat and God is glorified in that. It's a lot about your understanding and about the knowledge you have that determines whether or not you're weak or strong in faith in certain areas. But the question is, is how can those two people worship together if they have different opinions about meat? How can they worship together? And verse 3 is the answer. Because... It says, don't let the one who eats despise or look down on the one who doesn't understand this yet. Okay? Don't look down on them and say, oh my gosh, you're one of those vegetable-only Christians. You don't understand. You're ignorant. Don't you know? On the other side, it says, if you're the one who doesn't eat meat, don't judge the one that's eating meat. For God has received both of them. And it's really that simple. It's really that simple. If you eat meat, don't look down on one who don't. If you don't eat meat, don't judge one who does. It's an easy example and a perfect one because it doesn't really offend anybody. They both have faith. They both have been saved. It's by grace through faith that the meat are saved. It's by grace through faith that vegetable only guy's been saved. Amen. Neither have ill intent. They're both doing what they do for the glory of God. They're both doing their best to follow their convictions for the Lord and what they know of Him today. Amen? Amen? Yeah. Now, again, let's be clear. This doesn't apply to Adultery, for instance. Adultery is clear. It's black and white, sinful behavior. It's obvious in the Scripture. It's plain. So we don't say, well, this brother or sister believes they can commit adultery. Who am I to pass judgment on that? That's not what he's talking about. In those clear matters, we must pass judgment on those things. But in the areas that are gray and not so clear, when it comes to some of these things, this is a good principle to understand. If you and another brother and sister don't see everything just perfectly eye to eye, I'm talking about these non-essential things, and maybe one of you is wanting to go do this, and the other says, no, I don't really want to do this, then the best thing you can do is don't look down on the one who does or doesn't. The other one don't judge the other. And if your convictions, and we'll talk about this in a minute, if you don't feel like you should do something... You shouldn't do it. 
Now Paul's going to remind us of an important fact that we can that we can remember and it'll help us in these matters. Are you ready? It's verses 10 through 12, Romans 14. He said, Why would you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? For we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather let us resolve this. Let this be what we do instead of looking down on everyone and arguing with everyone and, and despising everyone. Instead, let's don't put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Ah. We're not our brother's judge. And we shouldn't allow these matters, these non-essential matters, to cause us to despise one another. Amen? Amen. For each of us, here's the reason why. Because I'm not any one of your judge and you're not mine. Each one of us is going to stand before the judgment seat of God of Christ and give an account of our own life to God. That should motivate you to do what you know is right to do. Because you're going to have to give account for it. And you may say, well, I'm not worried about that. I know the love of my Savior. You do. You may very well find out that that loving Savior will take reward from you on that day. And you say, well, I don't care. I, I, as long as I get there, you will care. The Bible says on that day, many of us will have regrets. We may enter in and still have regret that we didn't do what we knew we ought to do. When you're reminded of that judgment day, when you realize on that day, it won't be you and your church family. It won't be you versus so-and-so in the church or you versus so-and-so that you know. It'll just be you and God. You giving your account to Him. Now that is a reason to fear the Lord in the assembly of the saints. That makes us worry less about what everybody else is doing and worry more about what we are or are not doing for ourselves. Amen? God won't ask me to give account of any of your actions. But He will want to me to give account of mine. And those are things that we need to remember. So what are we supposed to do? Well, I, I look at this next section in Romans 14. I think it bleeds over to Corinthians 8 as well as this is the work of love. That's what I would call this section of Scripture. So let's look in verse 13. This is where love begins to really work in the church and in relationships. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put the stumbling block or the cause to fall in our brother's way. We don't judge in these matters and we do our best not to cause others to stumble or fall. Listen, we choose to love others even if we don't see some of the gray areas the exact same way. We choose not to judge or despise each other over every little thing 
And we remember that we all will give account to Christ ourselves. So we love each other. Now look at Romans 14, 14 through 19. He said, I know... Now this is Paul's understanding. I know and I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus that there's nothing unclean of itself. Now he's not talking about sin, obviously. He's talking about what he's talking about here. The food and drink. He said, there's nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Oh, this is important. Yet, if your brother is grieved... Ah, now listen. I left you last week with this question. Why do we sometimes have to restrict ourselves for other people? Right? Listen to what he says. If your brother is grieved because of your food... In other words, if you won't stop eating meat in front of the brother who thinks it's wrong to eat meat, you're not walking in love. Ah, oh, That's why we restrict ourselves sometimes. That's why I don't go out and intentionally flaunt liberty in Christ in front of those who maybe don't yet have the understanding of what liberties they have. We labor to teach those liberties. We labor to explain those things. And as people come to the knowledge, then we can walk a little differently or a little more uh, with a little more liberty. But in the beginning, my main purpose is not to walk in liberty. My main purpose is to walk in love. He goes on. Listen to what he says. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Right? Don't let your liberty cause that man to stumble away. And do not let your good be, be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which we may edify or build one another up. So we have the work of love. Love helps bind us together in unity. Amen? Amen. Being able to walk in love. If, if I'm going somewhere with Brother Joel and Brother Joel says, I don't like it when believers do this and it's something that I don't think there's a thing in the world wrong with, you know what I don't do? The thing that Brother Joel don't like. Because what's most important is that I walk in love with Brother Joel. Not that I get to have my liberty. Amen? There's one other thing I want you to see from this section of Scripture. And this is where I'm going to give you that sixth question here in a few minutes to ask before making a gray area decision. Just like the work of love, we also have the work of our conscience and faith. And this is important. It's all important. Romans 14, 23-23. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure. In other words, all that food. But it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It's neither good, it, it is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine 
nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Amen. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he doesn't eat from faith. And listen, whatever is not from faith is sin. We often will say, define sin, and we say it's the transgression of God's law. It is. It's also defined here. Whatever we do that's not of faith is sin. In other words, Paul is kind of... Maybe I can just look at it a different way. Look at what Paul said, verse 20. All things are pure. In other words, all this food is fine. But for the person who eats it and feels like they shouldn't have ate it, it's not okay. There's a liberty to eat meat. For him, it's no issue at all to eat meat. But others' consciences are convicted at the thought of eating meat or of drinking wine. He uses that example. And Paul calls that conscience, that tenderness of mind, a work of God. And he said that you and I don't have a right to destroy the work he's doing in someone else. Amen? Look at verse 20. He said, don't destroy the work of God for the sake of food. God is working in that person's conscience. And if they should not eat meat, if they believe that, then they should not eat meat and you shouldn't try to get them to. Ah. For the one who's not convicted, Paul says, if you have faith, you can eat meat. And that's great. But have that faith between you and God. Do, in other words, I take that as do that with your brother that don't believe that that's okay. Do that when he's not going to be there to be offended by it. Keep that between you and God. right? And be happy that God has given you the liberty to eat the meat. Be fine with that. But don't let that liberty become a reason to damage somebody else's conscience. This is important. In other words, keep your liberty to yourself. Don't pressure other people to do what you do. Paul says it clearly. Meat is not unclean. It's fine to eat it. It's their conscience that isn't ready to eat the meat. And so when they eat it, they don't eat it in faith. See, deep down, they, they, they felt like maybe it's not right to eat the meat. And there's going to be decisions that you have to make in some of these gray areas, and you're going to look at it and you're going to think, oh, gosh, I don't really, I don't, have, I don't have a good feeling about this. I don't think I should do this then don't do it. There's going to be some times that you say, I just, I just, no matter how I try to look at it, I just don't see anything wrong with this. There's no scriptural evidence that this is wrong and I don't feel bad about it. Then that's fine. You have liberty. Make sure your liberty is not a stumbling block for anyone else that's around you and enjoy your liberty between you and God.
Don't try to go around and get everybody to join you in your liberty. Let those who are weaker in faith get strong the same way you got strong. You know how that happened? God strengthened you as you studied, as you learned, as you grew. Let God do that work in them as well. They may eventually get to where you are in faith about that area. But they're not there today. And you pushing them may cause them instead. Listen, if I'm walking fast and I get behind you and you're walking slow and I keep walking fast and run into your back, I cause you to stumble. Right? Sometimes i got to be cautious and slow down a little bit and make sure I don't trip you up. Amen? Amen. Look at verse 23. He who doubts is condemned if he eats. That's the key. If you're doubting about something, if you say, I just don't know, don't know, don't do. Unsure, it's not from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. I, let me give you a John Piper quote because I like Piper. He said, if we feel pressured to do what we think is wrong, and we yield to the temptation to do that, we're saying in effect, I really need someone's approval. Or I need this physical pleasure so much that I risk defiling my conscience and doing what I believe to be wrong. This is not the kind of acting that comes from faith. Therefore, it's unclean. This is an act of unbelief. It's a form of covetousness. We are desiring something so much that it signals that our contentment is God and God is faltering. God is not enough to satisfy us. We're not resting in Him. Instead, we're craving what we believe to be wrong. Whether it's wrong or not is irrelevant. If we believe it's wrong, we shouldn't do it. So here's your sixth question. Can I do this in faith? In other words, will my conscience be clean if I do this? Is what I'm going to do here, is what I'm thinking about doing, is it of faith or do I have any doubts that I should do this? So now you have six questions. What does the Bible say about it? Is it good or bad for me spiritually? How will it impact my testimony to those around me? Will it bring God glory? Could it cause somebody else to stumble and fall? And can I do this in faith and keep a clear conscience between God and I. Listen to me now. Just for a minute, then I'm, about, I'm almost done. In regards to the church, Christ has given us a supreme calling, and that's that we love one another. Amen? Amen. Amen. Love one another. Love overcomes division. Yeah. Love overcomes opinions. And we should let love rule in our hearts. So that when I'm doing something that a brother or sister maybe feels like I shouldn't, I yield to love. I yield. And I say, okay. To keep from hurting you, I won't exercise that bit. No problem for me. When something that I know is fine 
from studying and prayer, and there's no scriptural evidence that God is against it, but if it violates my brother or sister's conscience or it tempts them in a way that causes them to act in the flesh somehow, I refrain in love. Pull back. If, if in the example of me, if if we go downstairs for dinner and somebody says, I just I just don't see how you could profess to be and, and this was a different time and meat was a different issue then. There was idle meats and those things, and you can read about that in First Corinthians eight. We already read it last Sunday. But if we went downstairs and somebody said, I just don't see how you can be a Christian and eat meat, I just how do you know that, that meat wasn't sacrificed to some idol? How do you know that that meat is clean? I just don't see how you could do that. It bothers me terribly. I will push the meat away. Because I would rather them know that I love them than them know I care more about loving them than I do about liberty myself. I'll push it away. Now I'll go home and put a, put a steak on the grill and eat it all day long. Amen? But to keep from hurting you here, I would certainly not. Here's the other side of that coin. I go downstairs and, and, and you're eating a big piece of meat and it's me that thinks, I can't believe they're doing that. Then I think an appropriate conversation to have based on the scripture we just read is instead of saying, I can't, you know, I can't believe you didn't meet, you profess to be a Christian, is, is, is to not judge the brother that's eating the meat. And you just keep on eating your vegetables because to you, meat is wrong. You see how that works both ways? That's the way love works. Both ways. Here, here's the root of it, right? This is what I want you to remember. When it comes to this kind of stuff, you need to be able to say, when it comes to liberty and limits, you have to be able to say this and mean it. I love them more than I love me. I love them. I care more about their conscience, their faith. I love them more than I love me. So if I have to sacrifice to keep them from being destroyed, I'll gladly sacrifice. Amen? That's the simplest. That's the, listen, truly, that's the essence of Christian living. I love them more than I love me. It's a great question to ask yourself each and every day. Right? Get up in the morning. You can write it in the cover of your Bible sometime and take a look at it or write it on a piece of paper and stick it on the refrigerator and ask yourself every day, do I love Him and them more than I love me? When I love Him and them more than me, my priorities are right. My walk's going to be better. When I love me more than you, I'm way off base. I'm stumbling all in. I stand to our feet. I'm done. This will finish us up in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. As you stand, let me 
Let, let me read these last two verses and you say, well, I'm not sure that ties into A. And let me read these last two verses in 1 Corinthians 8. I don't have them on the screen. But you can go back and check me. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. He said, actually, let me read verse 11, 12 and 13. He said, And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. That's the same thing we read just a minute ago. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I would never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Because I love them more than I love them. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we thank you so much. For your word, God, we thank you, Lord, that you, you teach us and guide us. God, there are all kinds of opportunities for us, God, to walk in love towards one another. To show these Christian principles, God, and to test our love, Lord. And sometimes these gray areas reveal to us a lack of love. So God, if there's any selfishness in any of us, we pray that you would work in us. Forgive us for it. Remove it from us. That we might walk in love towards one another. There's places, God, where we may be hurting one another. That we would have our eyes open to see it. And that we might pull back and find out how to walk in love. May we never, ever fall for Satan's lies that liberty is a license to sin. Help us be strict in our adherence to Your Word, God. Convict us when we fail or stumble or slip, God. That we might know to repent and that we might rise back up and walk in a way that's pleasing to you. We thank you for every family that's here this morning, for every person, every visitor, God. We ask that you would be with us all, that you would strengthen our homes, God. We pray for our world, our nation, God. We pray for those who are going through difficult circumstances. No doubt many are today, Lord. We pray about this virus, God. We'd love to see you just take it away. But we thank you, God, that we know that you're going to work it to good. For the sake of the church, and more importantly, for the sake of your own glory. We praise you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We love you. Thanks for coming. Be with us today. Members, if you can, stay.